Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. If you're going to be successful in battle, you must understand your enemy. If you're going to be successful in battle, you must understand your enemy. Every good military commander often sends a recon team to go in and spy out the enemy. The reason? To see what they're up against. To check out their equipment. To look at their training. To see the skills, what weapons they have. As a matter of fact... It was Joshua in the Old Testament book of Joshua who actually did this. He was a great leader. Now, for you and I, in 2023, it's important for you to know your enemy. If we're going to have daily victory in the Christian life, we must know and understand your enemy, Satan. As we come to the final verses of this amazing letter, we discover that the Apostle Paul instructs us to be ready for battle. He encourages us to stand against the evil forces that are at work in the world. Today, church, if you're taking note, we're going to learn all about the enemy. We're going to see three keys that we have to to defeat him. Now, remember, when it comes to the enemy, there's three of them that we battle daily. Number one, we battle the world. You live in the world, you're going to battle the world, the world, its system, everything else. And you can see how that's changing rapidly. The world is not the same. That's a battle. You also got this flesh. This flesh, although you're born again and your spirit loves Jesus and wants to follow Jesus, you still got the flesh. And sometimes the flesh rears its ugly head and wants to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. We battle the flesh. But the third one is the devil. And we battle the devil. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at the enemy, the devil. Now, you've got to remember, and you can jot this down, if you're going to describe the book of Ephesians, you could say the first part of Ephesians is wealth. The second part of Ephesians is walk, how we're supposed to walk. And now we get to the last part, which is warfare, which is warfare. Now, let me remind you, if you haven't been here, here's what we talked about last week. If you recall, and here's what you got to, you just got to get this in your head. Paul has given us, if you will, 41 imperatives. You go, what are imperatives? These are commands to the believer, 41 of them. And these are commands the way you and I should live. You see, the word of God is so practical. Paul gives us 41 commands. And this is important, and you go, why? Because we are to seek to glorify God in our lives and to live according to his word. You see, Christians are not just, hey, I'm Christian in name. Well, I'm a Christian. You see, I've got a t-shirt that says I'm a Christian. I've got a bumper sticker of a fish on my car. I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. A Christian is Christ-like, obedient to his word every day, glorifying him. That's really what it's all about. Now, remember what we talked about, okay? 
we talked about. You go, what's that? Well, he, here's the thing. If, if Paul gives us 41 imperatives, he's given us 41 things, commands, we have to learn something. We have to grasp this. You go, what's that? Well, here's what we've learned. We've learned that rules without a relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship always equals rebellion. You guys know that. You know that, right? Stay off the grass. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to get on the grass. Don't fish from the pier. That's who we are. Whenever we get rules, for some reason, we feel like we need to break them. I don't know if we feel like we need to get away from, hey, I got away with it, or whatever it might be. But here's what we understand. Rules, commands, imperatives, without a relationship. So what does Paul do? Paul understands this, and what does he do? He gives us commands, and he gives us rules, but he understands without proper relationship to the God who's given us these rules, well, it just leads us to rebellion. And you can see that in our world today. You can see that in our world today. God says, don't do this. Well, why not? Why not? Your mind should automatically all the, we'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I want to be like God. I don't know why I can't be like God. I, I deserve, and, and, and we want to elevate ourselves like God. So what does Paul do? Church, listen, Paul spends three solid chapters explaining, explaining, making sure it's inside of us, the wonderful relationship we have with God. Now, I need to stop you right there. I need you to ask a question to yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but do you have a relationship with the God that created you? Do you have that relationship? Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh, well, what do you mean? relationship, like, like you understand what a relationship is, where you're talking to him, you're walking with him, you're praying to him, you're listening to him, you're obedient to him. Do you have a relationship? Because you, if you don't have a relationship, then everything Paul tells us to do, you go, ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let, let me just say this. This came to mind. When it comes to the devil, think about this. When it comes to the devil, If you've given your life to the Lord, what's the one thing that he wants to keep you from having? A relationship with God. Okay, he wants to keep you from that. Why? Because rules without a relationship, you're going to rebel. And so what are you? You're a rebellious Christian because you don't understand the relationship you have. But when you have a relationship with God, when you're walking with God every single day, when your heart goes pitter-patter when you think of Jesus, and tears come to eyes when you think how, how that's perfect love, well, that's a relationship. That's a relationship, church. And that's when you go, and, and the Lord says, hey, I want you to be obedient. What do you do? You're obedient. You go, amen. Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Why wouldn't I be? Why wouldn't I be? So, Paul, let me give you three solid chapters explaining the relationship. Now, let me just give you a side note. As Paul writes the letter of Ephesians, remember, he assumes that we are already fully devoted followers of Jesus. He says, you're already there. You're growing and maturing in your walks with God. And so, therefore, he doesn't go back like he does in Romans. But what does he do? He simply explains our position with God. You go, well, like what? Well, I can't go through them for the sake of time. But like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it'll be on the board. Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you guys see that? 
God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You go, Ben, I'm not sure what that means. Well, this all-encompassing statement indicates that every blessing we could possibly need has been given in Christ. Christ came from heaven and earth, from heaven to earth, from the Father to bring us every spiritual blessing we need. That's a good place for an amen. amen. You go, why? Why should I say amen? Here's why. Listen, let me ask you a question. What did you do to deserve this blessing? Well, you go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> do you know who I am? Hey. Okay. No. No. When you, re- when, when you walk, listen, to, ooh, when you walk with God, you really realize who you are. And you're like, oh, man. The closer you walk with Jesus, church, listen to me, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more aware of your sin you are and how much grace you need. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched. Oh, no, 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 you're a good man. No, no, no. If it wasn't for Jesus, are you kidding me? No, no. You see, in our world today, the culture dictates that you should and you are and you have all of this stuff and you deserve. Come on, church, you deserve. And, and, and quite honestly, if we're honest, we don't deserve any of this. What we deserve. Wow. But when you walk around and you think, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, this is who I am. This is what gets you off, this is what gets you off track, off kilter. Because the closer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize, man, I don't deserve anything. It's just by His grace. It's by His grace, man. It's by, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so as believers, so as believers, you get to live in this world, you get to live with His peace. You get to live with joy. You get to live with all of that. But not only that, but He has a place for you in heaven when you die. We didn't do anything to deserve this. Even at our best, we can't get cleaned up enough. We can't look good enough. It's His grace. It's His grace. So Paul, what does he do? Three chapters. This is who you are. This is your position. This is who you are. This is what God has done for you. Are you kidding me? He's he's saved you. He loves you for three chapters. So that when he gives us the imperatives, we go, amen, and we follow them. You see, obedience in our life is key. Obedience. Are we obeying the Word of God? Are we obeying the Word of God? Well, last week, if you recall, we talked about radical living. Radical living. We talked about the role of children. Children. See, last week, Paul was addressing children, and let me just say, most likely those who could understand. Okay? If you'll notice, there are not a lot of little children in the service at our church. And you go, why not? Because a lot of times we'll go, come to church, sit with me, shh, behave. And, and, and they don't have a clue what the pastor's saying. He's teaching at an academic level, and we call it church, and we wonder why these kids don't want to come to church. Well, it's boring, Dad. It's boring, Mom. He's over here. He's not even funny, and, they're, and they want to play with their little... And what do we do? We give them a, we give them a phone, and they're like, ah, and that's called church it's far better that they could understand. And then if not, let's, let's let them learn at their level that they can understand. Because if other kids are jumping for Jesus and they can walk away with something tangible, 
This is what Paul is saying. Paul says, children, here's the role of the child. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. You guys remember, as children like these, they'll have to be obedient to their parents, but a day is coming as they get older that that role will change. They won't be so much obedient as they will honor their folks. Dad, teach me. Dad, show me. How does this work? Can I get some advice from you, Dad? All of this stuff. And then he turns around. If you recall last week, he addresses the parents and the fathers, Ephesians 6, 4. He says, and you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of Lord. He says, fathers, don't provoke your kids to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say, you know what? Here's, here's the one thing that we can do. Parents, you ready? Fathers, this is hard. Okay, I want you to look at me. This is hard. When we fail as parents, go to your children and tell them and ask them to forgive you. Well, I will not. I'm the dad. What I say goes. Even if I'm wrong, what I say goes. You understand me? That exasperates them. Sometimes you've got to go to your kid and say, you know what? I'm sorry. Daddy loves you, but he blew it. Will you please forgive me? Your kids go. And they don't look at you as weak. They actually look at you as strong. Because it's God's economy. This is how God does this. We never tell our kids, do as I say, not as I do. Because kids can smell hypocrisy a mile away. And all they're waiting for is the time that they can break free from you to go out and live however they want to. And what Paul says, he says, fathers, don't provoke. He says, here's what you do. Bring them up in the training, in the admonition of the Lord. This is how we need to do this. This is what we do at our house. You go, well, Ben, 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 wait, wait, wait. What happens if, if I bring them up in the Lord and they stray? What happens if, they, if I have a prodigal? What happens? Guess what? Listen, listen. You've done your job, though. And you can trust that you've put the word of God inside them. You go, well, I haven't done that. Do it today. Make a commitment to start living for the Lord today. Let your kids see you having a quiet time. Not because you want to show them, look, mom and dad have a quiet time. You need to. But fruit, guys, fruit is just going to come naturally as you walk with God. As you walk with God. And then we talked about employee and employers. You guys remember this? Ephesians 5 says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Here's the thing. You ready? You work for God. You work for God. And even though your boss isn't watching you, God's watching you, and you work for God. And you work for God. And this is what he's saying. He says, hey man, don't just work hard when your boss is around. Wow, that's pretty good. he's, He's a hard worker. And then as soon as he leaves, you snuff on the clock. He says, don't do that. Believers are called to be different. Believers are called to be different. We are called to what? We are called to work as unto the Lord. What does that mean? If you get paid for eight hours, work for eight hours. Work. Do the best you can. Do the best you can. Do the best you can. That's all you got to do. You show up at time. You don't show up 10 minutes after you're supposed to be there. You show up. You do a good job. You do the very best you can. As unto the Lord. You know that, that inner fight, right? Inner fight is if you're like, 
oh, oh, this job, they don't even, they don't even care about me. All they care about is themselves. You need to look up and go, Lord, you care about me. And you have me here for a season. And let me just say this, and I've said it before. Your job is not a job. Your job is a mission field. And God will have you there as long as you fulfill your mission. And when it's time to go, you might go. But he'll have you there for a reason. And you need to be ready. And then he says, now, if you're an employer, look at verse 9. And you masters do the same thing to them. Give up threatening, knowing your own master is also in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. We should not be bosses that, that threaten our employees. We should be a boss that says, I want to make every single employee as successful as I can. I'm going to do my very best. Now, there are some that are just not going to make it, okay? But be honest with them. Don't threaten. Say, listen, this is what I got to do. We should be the type of boss that if you have to fire somebody, they actually thank you because you've actually gone above and beyond to help them grow. And maybe it's just not for them. It's not for them. Church, we will stay at jobs that we hate just because. And we won't quit just because. And sometimes we need a godly boss to go, hey man, this is not for you. What are you passionate about? I'm not passionate about fruit. I don't want to be the the produce guy anymore. You know, I hate rotating, all of this stuff. And he goes, I know. Now go find what you're passionate about. Go find what you're passionate. And that's kind of where we left off last week. It's called radical living. Why? Because a a lot of people are not doing this. We're going to jobs and we're allowing culture to dictate how we should behave with them. Oh, my buddies are there slacking, let's go. And so we'll sit behind, well, I'm supposed to be working, but I'm out playing, uh, I'm playing the back nine because nobody knows. No, 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 church, we, we have to be different. God's called us to be different. We're in, a, we're in a battle, as you'll see here in just a minute, and we have to be different. So Paul gives us radical living, and then he changes direction. Everybody see that? He changes direction. Now he's going to teach us about really God's protection. We're going to see warfare. So if you're taking note, jot these down. These are three keys to defeat our enemy. Three keys. And you go, what are they? Number one, spiritual power. Spiritual power. That's the first one. Number two, spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. And number three, you have spiritual perception. Perception. So one, spiritual power. Two, spiritual protection. And three, spiritual perception. That's what we're going to pick up today. We're going to pick up our study in verse 10. Let's look at a spiritual power. A spiritual battle requires spiritual power. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and the power of of his might. Our very first key in defeating our enemy is to understand spiritual battles require spiritual power. Whose power? Our own power? No, it's the power is in the Lord. Power that's in the Lord. Let me unpack this verse. Paul says, hey, here's a final word. So we've gone all the way through chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter, here we come. And he says, here's the final word. You ready? Here's the exhortation. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay? Make no mistake, church. 
Satan is a strong enemy. So Paul exhorts us to be strong. Paul knows that our flesh is weak. We can see that in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. But he also tells us that we can overcome only in Christ's power. In Christ's power. So this is the final word to us as Paul closes his letter. You go, what should we do? He says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Guys, do you remember early on in chapter 4, Paul said, strengthen the inner man. Strengthen the inner man. There's a lot of issues that are come at you. There's a lot of stuff. You got the world, you got the flesh, you got the devil. Strengthen the inner man. Know how much God loves you. He says, this is what we should be working on. Strength. And he says, now you should walk in this strength. And as a matter of fact, when he says, be strong in the Lord, listen, God gave the Israelites a similar charge before they engaged in battle with the inhabitants of the promised land. Do you remember this? Well, Deuteronomy 31 and 23 says this, then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Mun, and said this, be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land, which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Guys, do you see that? Do you see that? It's the same concept. Joshua, be strong. You're going to do this. Be strong. And what? Be of good courage. Look at Joshua 1.6. Be strong and of good church. Be of good courage. For this people you shall divide an inheritance of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I need this like Joshua. Joshua saw Moses... And just two million people walk through the, walking, and, and, and for 40 years he's been watching him rebel, dying off, and everything. And now we're going into the promised land. I need his strength. Moses couldn't do it. Moses was pretty strong. I can't do it. I can't do it. Joshua, yes, sir? Be strong in the Lord. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. You're going to take this church and you're going into the promised land. Okay. Okay. Now, listen to me, church. Listen. Sooner or later, we as believers learn that the Christian life is a battleground. It's a battleground. We commit our lives to Jesus in hopes that all will be well, and quickly we learn that the battle is on. I can't tell you how many times somebody will come to me and they'll give their life to the Lord right here. They'll pray, and they'll pray the sinner's prayer, and the moment they walk out the door, the battle's on. But even more than that, you'll have somebody who's been walking with Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow. I'm, I'm not going back to that old life. And you immediately, the moment you make that decision, it's on. And you don't realize. And the attacks from all different places. Can I tell you one attack where it comes from? It's your blind side. You guys know what a blind side is, right? You're driving down the road. You have your rear view mirrors. And there's a blind side where you can't see what's going to hit you. Unless you completely turn, you can't see that. It's called the blind side. That's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy does that exactly. You're driving, you're walking, you go, okay, man, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to give, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he, he comes when you, and where you least expect. It's the blind side. We've got to protect our blind side. This is why marriages need to be strengthened in the Lord. Because your wife can see your blind side. Your wife can help you. Your husband can help you. And, and, and you'd be able, oh, well, watch out, watch out, here it comes. Here it comes. Now, it doesn't necessarily stop the attack, but at least you have an idea. Oh, okay, it's going to come from here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where did that come from? That was weird. That was weird. 
And so we got to be careful. We realize, realize, okay, my life is a battleground. That's, that's the whole point. Now, now listen, here's the thing. I get it that we sit there and we go, hey, how many of you want to get saved? How many of you? Okay, and here's what we offer. We offer salvation. Salvation is great. You're going to be saved. You're going to get to go to heaven. It's wonderful. And, uh, and then sometimes we try to oversell it about what's going to happen. But to be honest with you, here's what we should say. Hey, how many of you want to get saved? I do. Okay, you're going to be saved. You're going to go to heaven. God's going to walk with you. You're going to have the peace. But you're also going to battle the enemy, the world, all in your flesh every day. And there's going to be attacks. And you might suffer. Who's in? Everybody's like, mm, I don't know. It was, up, it was good up until that point. I'll take door number three, Bob. I'll take door number three. I don't want door number two. That's really what we do. But if we're honest, and we realize that there is a battle, that life is a battleground, then you go, okay, okay. Then I want this. And I want this. Let me just say this. Jot this down if you're taking note. It won't be easy. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. Christianity is not, listen to me, Christianity is not, man, you get everything you ever wanted. You get saved, and your wife is unbelievably attentive. And she cooks, she cleans, everything else. I mean, and she mows the lawn. I mean, it's just amazing. It's like, ah, we're saved, and she does all. I mean, and she doesn't tell me one thing, and she's so nice to me. It's like, woo, I should have got saved. No, no. And you women, boy, we got saved. But my husband, he's, whoo, all of a sudden, he's good looking again. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything wrong. He keeps every, all... We're saved. And the Holy Spirit keeps you from killing him. <laughs> That's basically it. And he comes in and he's a mess. And he's a mess. What power do we need? Well... Paul is saying, in the power, in the spiritual strength of his might, in the spiritual strength of his might, Christ might, as in Ephesians, look at Ephesians 1.19, it'll be on the screen. Ephesians 1.19 says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? That's where the power comes from. What are you tapping into? This is exactly it. Where are you tapping into? So in reality, we are to put on, if you will, the spiritual power of the Lord Jesus to walk in his strength and his might. And his might. Not to rely on your own strength. If you want to defeat the enemy, we have to walk in power. We have to walk in power. That's number one. Number two, we need spiritual protection. Spiritual protection. Drop that down. The second key to overcoming the enemy is to make sure you are spiritually protected. Spiritual battles require spiritual protection. Protection. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, I was thinking, put on, right? I kept, I kept meditating on this verse, and this reminds me of the superheroes. You know, some of you are Marvel, some of you are the other. It doesn't matter, but here's what it says. He says, put it on, they, they put on their superhero suit, right? 
And yet the word of God declares to you and I as believers that we are to put on the whole armor of God. We're to put on his suit, his suit. Now, now listen, Paul's going to break that down. He's going to break what the suit consists of. Now, his mindset is, remember, he's there in Rome. So he sees all of the Roman guards with every, all the garb on it. And so he's going to correlate that a lot. But, but he's going to give us our, our and we're, we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, so you can't miss. You got to come back or else you won't, you'll be completely lost. So you need to come back. But we need, we need some spiritual protection. Protection. Now, if you're taking notes, guys, there are two things we must do here. You go, what's that? Verse 11. It says, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to, what's that word? Stand. You see that? Stand. Why does he want us to stand? against the wiles of the devil. Well, if you've got a pencil handy, you can circle that word for stand because it's a military expression that refers to posture of position towards an enemy. Okay? Notice that, hey, put on the whole armor of God, then turn around and run. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, stand. Stand. I've got the power of the Lord. I've got, I've got his spiritual power in me. I've got the whole armor of God. I'm going to Stand. But what we need to understand, what we need to grasp here, church, in the original Greek, the rendering is once you put it on, put it on once and for all. Oh, come on. Come on, somebody. We're not taking it on and off. Oh, I'm at home. Whew, you stay there. Cling, cling, cling. He says once you put on the armor, this is the Greek, once you put it on, it stays on. It stays on. All the way through, you've got the armor of God. Don't take it off. Why? If you do, listen to me, you open yourself up to the attacks of the devil. Just stand. Always on. Always on. When learning this verse, we used to think, when we get up in the morning, we've got to put on the whole armor of God. And so you're sitting there, man, I'm, I'm going to sleep with the armor on. I don't know about you. I'm going to sleep with the whole armor, the breastplate of righteousness, all of this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep with that. I definitely want the helmet of salvation to protect my mind and to protect me even in dreams. Lord, I, it's, just, it's, the, it's the helmet of salvation. It's the, okay, okay, okay. You knew what the beauty of the whole armor of God is? It's not heavy because it's spiritual. It's not heavy. You're not walking around like this. Okay, hold on. What's the matter? I've got, this, I've got the armor of God. No, you you just put it on. You go, okay, protect my mind. Protect my heart. Protect all of this. You know what I find interesting, church? Paul uses the word stand four times in these verses. To withstand, to stand. So he's adamant that we stand. Now, you go, why is that important? Here's why. Before we jump into our last key, let me remind you that Paul never told us to enter into spiritual warfare. He teaches us that our Heavenly Father provides our spiritual power, strengthen Him, our spirit protection, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole. Now, this is going to blow you away. This is going to blow you away. Now, very quickly, Paul employs the word whole. Put on the whole armor of God. 
Why is that, church? Why? Likely mainly because some of us only put on the suit partially, don't we, for spiritual battles. I think of Joshua. Do you guys remember the book of Joshua before going out to Ai? Do you remember? It's like, Joshua, bro, hey, don't worry, man. God is with, don't worry about us. Just send a few over to AI. Well, not a problem. And then they get wiped out. And that's a lot of us in our spiritual battles. We go, hey, listen, I really don't need the breastplate of righteousness. I'm good. I think I just need to take my sword. You know, I'll bust a few heads. Come on, let's go. And, and he says, no, no, no. Every day, put on the full armor of God. You got to protect your heart. You got to protect your walk. You got to have truth with you. You've got to have the helmet of salvation. You've got to have all of this protection moving forward. Moving forward. The enemy is going to attack. Okay, I need to stand. I need to have that military term. I'm going to stand. I need to know my enemy. Here he comes. But I don't need to turn and retreat. I don't need to turn. Why shouldn't I turn? Because I have nothing on the backside to protect me. I have nothing. And so again, we need to understand. We need to put it on. Now, if you'll go back in the Old Testament, and you can just jot these down as we look at them, here's what I want you to think about. The book of Isaiah contains the same imagery like Paul's. Look, Isaiah 11, 4 and 5. In the New Living, it says, And he gives justice to the poor and makes uh, make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Here it is. And he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So there's part of the armor of God found in the Old Testament. Isaiah 52 and 7, jot this down. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says, Zion, your God reigns. And then Isaiah 59, 17 says this, for he put on righteousness as a, bless, as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he puts on the garments of vengeance for clothing and clad with zeal as a cloak. So Isaiah is already alluding. And so Paul, understanding, says, oh, 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 this is great. And so we have some amazing insights. The Old Testament helping us. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Why is it important? Well, next week we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation because we have to be so careful of stinking thinking. We have to be so careful. I'm telling you, what we think, if we think about it, and I know some of you are overthinkers. You belong to Overthinkers Anonymous. Yeah, you're, you're all out, you go, yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've run 15 different scenarios how this is going to go down, and none of them ever happens. But you've worried yourself for you. I was going to say gray hair, but never mind. Um, and so we've got to protect our mind. But we also have to have the truth because we always have to ask ourselves, what is truth? What is the truth? What's really going on here? Lord, what is the truth? Because I can make up all different kinds of scenarios of what's going on, but what is the truth? And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful. The Word of God gives us some great application. And you go, why? Because he says something very interesting. I want you to look at verse 11 again. He says, put on the whole armor, all of it, guys, all of the whole armor of God. Why? So that you would be able to stand against the wiles. Circle that word for wiles. It's a very interesting word. Why? Because if you're taking note, here's what it means. It means craftiness. It means schemes for deceiving. It refers to the devil's efforts to disrupt the church. 
This is what it means. He says, man, he's not, see, the devil's going to come against you, but he's not just going to go, oh, let me attack you. Hey, are you, you okay with me attacking? He does it deceitfully. He does it deceitfully. He does it, I mean, I mean, think about the schemes. He, he's, he's sitting there and conniving, and he's scheming against you. I wonder what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. I wonder if he had in mind, you know, the divisions or the false teachings that he mentioned earlier. Like, you know what, they're going to come and they're going to try to deceive you. I wonder if he remembered what Christ said when he said, hey, in the Mount of Olives, hey, don't let no one deceive you. Don't let no one deceive you. Hey, you know who devil is? He's the father of lies. Anytime he speaks, he's lying. I wonder if Paul had that in mind. Because he goes, listen, you need to be careful. You need to be able to stand of all the craftiness the enemy wants to come in, all the deception. And listen, let me just say this. If you'll take a moment, you'll see it in our world. You'll see how they're coming in very crafty, very crafty. If you've ever gone fishing, if you've ever gone fishing, in all my years of fishing, okay, now I grew up in New Mexico in the mountains and uh, in trout fishing. And I mean, and in all my years of fishing, I've never caught a fish with a hook only. I don't care how hungry the fish are, they will not go after a hook. Okay, you with me? I'll put that hook on and go, come and get it, get it, fishy, come and get it. It's like, you're dumb, that's a hook. Right? That's why they call it a school of fish, because they're smart. They don't go after a hook. But I'll take a little piece of bait, and I'll roll it up, and I'll put, and I'll cover that hook. And then it goes, and they go, oh, that's not a hook, that's food. And they go after, did I deceive them? Absolutely. I deceived them right into that frying pan, I'm telling you. Didn't know what happened. Boom. Oh, it's a hook. That's what the enemy wants to do with you. Slowly but surely, without the word of God, without that, without you walking, without your foundation in the word of God, guys, he will slowly go. He's not going to come and go, hey, Eva, this is a hook. Eva. Oh. He'll package it real pretty. And he may even package it with verses in the Bible. And he may even package it with other people who you think are Christians. And you go, ah, ah, and then you're hooked. You're hooked. Hey, 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 come on out. Let's, let's just have a drink, bro. Just one drink. Come on, man. I thought you Christians were. And next thing you know, it's a hook. That's the craftiness. That's the craftiness. The craftiness is, hey, hey, baby, if you love me, you will. If you really love me, we'll do this, sweetie. Come on, we love. No, no, no. If you love me, you won't. If you love me, you'll obey the word of God. You'll obey the word of God. Paul's use of this word suggests that the devil is cunning and he uses deception to advance his evil purposes. It's time to wake up, church. It's time to wake up. You can see it right now. You can see it. You can go, wow, yes, yes. Because then he gives us the third point. You go, what's the third point? The third point is spiritual perception. Perception. Look at verse 12. 
For we do not wrestle, and if you're from Texas, it's wrestle, okay? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If we are going to battle our enemy, then we definitely need spiritual perception. You go, what is it? It's insight to who the devil is. We need to have that. Listen, wisdom dictates that we don't wrestle against people per se. We're not really wrestling. Like, like my friend Jeremiah, we don't really wrestle against each other, okay? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying there are spiritual forces in play. There are spiritual forces in play here. Now, the word wrestle here, guys, is the actual word battle. So he's saying we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're not battling against, you know, you'll, you'll have people whom you love, and, they'll, and, and, and it's a battle, you can say. I mean, they say things that are against what you believe, and, 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 and it can get heated, and they cuss, and all this stuff. Guys, you're really not battling that person. What Paul is telling you is, goes, you need some spiritual per- perception. We're not battling against the flesh and blood, but our battles are against principalities, against powers. We're battling rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, in heavenly places. Now, here's what you need to know. You can circle all of those and say this refers to hostile supernatural entities. That's who you're battling. That's who you're battling. You see, the enemy will come and he will get and he will go against you, but he will use people to do it. He will use people to do it. Now, whenever you and your wife get in a fight, please don't call her the devil. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. When you and your husband get in a fight, like, you're the devil, see, Pastor Ben, no, 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 no. When I'm talking about spiritual entities that come, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did this come from? This is, he's saying there are real spiritual battles. When your boss is just hostile against you because you're a believer, because you're reading your Bible on your break, and you get that hostileness towards you, that's spiritual battle. Listen, when we try to get our radio program out in the air, it's spiritual battle. Why? Because again, he's spiritual. His heavenly places is all, all of the, the radio waves, all of the internet waves. How many of you know every time we get the word of God out, we'll have, we'll have internet problems, we'll have radio problems, we'll have all of these problems because, because he owns that. He owns that. I can't tell you how attacked my pastor was for launching Radio by Grace. 72 radio stations across the United States, verse-by-verse teaching the Word of God reaching millions of people. You think the enemy's going to go, oh, darn it. He was and has attacked him. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. They're spiritual entities. You see, you and I, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual, these supernatural entities. Now, how should we battle? How should we do this? Well, I think we need to be like Jacob, don't you? You go, remember Jacob? He wrestled. He wrestled with God and he didn't give up. And I think we need to wrestle with God with irresistible prayer like Jacob. We're just praying. Where do we, how do we fight our knees? How do we fight our battles, guys? On our knees in prayer. God, order our steps. Go before me, God. God, please 
God. Listen, if it's a battle for somebody you love, you know they're not saved, you know they're walking, you know they're headed to destruction. Guys, we are on our face in the Lord, praying and crying out. We're denying our flesh with fasting and saying, God, I'm going to be fasting for... Please, Lord. Please. Please. Please, Lord. Listen, church. In order to have that spiritual perception every day, and we need to break down who our enemy is. You ready? Principalities, who are they? This is power. This is authority. This is lordship. This is ruler, wicked forces. Guys, think about this. The spiritual power that controls the people disobeying God. That's who you're fighting against. The spiritual power who now controls people who are disobeying God. Don't be so surprised. Don't be so surprised when the world comes against you. Well, no, pastor. People are basically good. You're, you're battling principalities. Number two, powers. Now, now check this out. I looked up the word powers. It's ability. It's force. It's control. You ready? And this is the one that jumped out the page. It's influence. Influence. Demon and demonic activity. I find it interesting that now we have a whole group of people on the internet calling themselves influencers. That really jumped out at me. Why? Because now they're influencing a, 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 a great number of people. Well, Paul just said, watch out for that. Watch out for influencers. Are we influencing for good? Are we influencing for bad? He says, hey, you're going to be fighting rulers of darkness. Rulers of darkness. Translated, world, world rulers. Satan, supernatural power, having some particular role in controlling destiny and activities of human beings. Power, authority, lordship, ruler, wicked force. Again, think about this, guys. Rulers of darkness, world rulers. You may sit here and cross your arms and go, man, I don't like the way our country is going. We are battling against world rulers that Satan is using. That Satan is using. And then he says this, you're also, you're also fighting and battling spiritual hosts of wickedness. As three of the clauses describe the power, so this force is the wickedness of our spiritual foes. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 12 43 to 45 says this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept in in order. Then he goes and takes him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Guys, think about this. Spiritual hosts of wickedness. I mean, this is a great example. Jesus says when you cast out a demon, he says you need to replace it with the Holy Spirit. You need to be saved. If you don't, then you're going to be clean. He'll go around and he'll go get seven other of his friends and come back and inhabit who you are. It's wickedness. It's wickedness. It's not enough to just cast out demons out of somebody. It's not enough. They need to be replaced with the Holy Spirit. They need to be saved. They need to be saved. 
So what does God do? God gives us spiritual sight. Why? Because spiritual battles require spiritual sight, spiritual perception. To do what? To stand against the evil entities. The evil entities. Now, I've given you three things. Three things. We have spiritual power. We have spiritual protection. And we have spiritual what? Perception. This is what we are. Okay? So next week, Paul's going to teach us how we're to stand and with what? And with what? Now, before I leave, let me give you a quick breakdown of the devil's craftiness. We talked about uh, his craftiness. When it comes to battling, when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to winning against the enemy, we need to know the battle plan. Now, I went on the internet and I was thinking, what are his battle plans? What are his battle plans? And I was going through and I was, I was just going through a myriad of, of, of things on the internet, myriad of books. I came across a fellow by the name of Alan Parr and he kind of puts it in a better way that he can understand. So let me give them to you from him. These are not mine. I won't take credit where I didn't get it, but these are really good. You ready? Number one, these are, jot this down. First and foremost, Satan wants to distract you, to distract you, okay? That's his big goal. You know where your life is, it's godly, he wants to distract you. Now, what you're doing right now in your mind is you need to think, what are all the ways that Satan wants to distract me? There's a lot of things that you go, you know what? No, I don't need to do that. That's the one thing. That's part of his battle plan. He wants to distract you. Number two, very quickly, he also wants to discourage you. Come on, somebody. He wants to discourage you. And he will throw all of these things in your mind. In your mind. I think it's funny. Um, Sherry came to me before service. He says, the devil doesn't want me to come to this church. I said, why not, Sherry? She goes, because it's, it's a Bible-teaching church. Well, it's exactly. He wants to what? First and foremost, he wants to distract you. Oh, it's raining. Stay home. You don't want to get your hair wet. Oh, your makeup's going to run if you get wet. You're tired. You were up till 8.30 last night. You need to sleep in. Sorry, Joe, that's late for you. And then he wants to discourage you. Man, so many things to discourage us, doesn't he? Hey, look at the way the world's going. Hey, you guys don't make a difference. You guys don't make a difference. Hey, nobody cares about you. They don't even text you. They don't even ask. Nobody cares about you. He wants to discourage us. Think of one of the ways that the devil in your life has discouraged you. Often it's people, isn't it? Number three, Satan wants you to, to be discontent. Discontent. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not content. Things got to be better. I don't understand. Why am I here? And he'll come in and he'll, you know what? And that's top, and that's why this morning, and that's why this morning we were, we were saying, man, we, we have to understand we've been blessed. You, you've got to grasp chapters one to three so that when he comes in and he tries to make you discontent, you go, are you kidding me? I don't even deserve what I have. Man, I want you to go home today and I want you to look at the house, whether it's an apartment or whatever you might be living in, and say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You're amazing. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what I have, but you are so good to me, God. I want to be content. Number four, ready? Satan wants, to, he wants you divided. 
He wants you divided. He'll do whatever he can to, to get us divided, won't he? He'll use division. Oh, well, no. No, guys, in the church, it's, it's, it's enough that we have to fought, fight the devil out those doors, that we have to fight Satan, we have to fight the flesh and the world. We don't need to be fighting each other inside. We need to be unified. You know what that requires? You better jot this down. This is so good. You need to forgive each other. We are the most, the body of Christ is the most um, dysfunctional family out there. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. We need to learn to forgive. We have to. We've got to be unified as a body. When we walk out those doors, we're unified as a body. Yeah, but so-and-so didn't talk to me today. It's okay. We're unified as a body. Yeah, but so-and-so. No. Yeah, don't gossip. Don't talk about people. We're unified in the body. Number five. Satan wants you to doubt. Come on, that's good. Here's why. Oftentimes he wants us to doubt, doesn't he? He wants us to doubt who he is. He wants us to doubt his power. We see people's lives and we go, man, Lord, why? Why are they still struggling? He wants us to doubt how good he is. That's his MO. Number six, he wants to deceive you. He wants to deceive you. One of the biggest things that he'll deceive you with is the guy, he's not coming back soon. He's not coming. Live your life however. You're fine. You're fine. No, he wants to deceive. Don't be deceived. How do I'm not deceived? Stay with the word of God. Don't listen to what culture's saying. You've got popular pastors out there who are not preaching the Bible. You've got, you've got rock star pastors Stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. Just because some men have large churches does not mean they're successful. Come on, somebody. If we really wanted to fill this building up three times over, we could do it. We could do it by marketing and worldly means. We're not going to be deceived. We're not going to doubt. We're going to trust that God is, is going to stay close to his word. Number six, number seven, sorry. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy you. You need to understand that. That's why Paul says, you need to have that spiritual power. You need to have that protection put on the full armor of God. And you need to have the spiritual perception. You need to know who I'm fighting with. You need to know your enemy. You and I don't have to guess. We don't have to guess who the enemy is. We don't have to go, oh, I wonder, are you the devil? Or the devil made me do it. You guys remember all that? Or... Paul tells us exactly who it is. He's the slanderer. Do you know right now? Do you know right now he's in heaven going, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about, let me tell about Jeremiah. Oh, hey, Jeremiah, and, and he's listing everything that Jeremiah's ever done. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's going, paid, paid, forgiven. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. He's the slanderer. 
Make sure we don't slander each other. Make sure that we encourage each other. Make sure we're praying for each other. This is what he's talking about. You ready? You ready? He wants to distract you. He wants to discourage you. He wants you discontented. He wants to divide us. He wants us to doubt. He wants to deceive us, and he wants to destroy us. But God. Come on, somebody. But God. But God. Amen? He's there with us. He's given us. He says, put on the full armor. Full on the armor. Now, I hope you wrote these down. I hope you wrote these down, because next week you're going to see how the armor of God is going to protect you against all of these. It's going to protect you. Why? Because, because I'm not going to be discouraged if I have the helmet of salvation. I'm not going to have any doubt if I'm, if I'm dwelling on his word. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm what? First and foremost, guys, taking every thought captive. If I'm taking every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ, I'm good. I'm good. Lord, that's not true. That's not true. You love me. That's not true. God, you're good. You're good. You're amazing. Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die. Thank you for the Holy Spirit guiding me. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Yeah, Ben, but your whole world is crashing. Yeah, I know, but God is good. I'll tell you why. I want you to think of yourself 100 years from now. Where are you going to be? You go, I'm not going to be here. Neither am I. If the Lord Jesus takes 100 years to come back, we'll all be gone. Right? So far better to go, okay, I'm going to live with my eyes on eternity going, one day, one day. So I don't have to worry about all the stuff he's trying to do right now. I don't have to worry. Now, last but not least, and we'll talk about it next week, the word of God declares to you and I that we are not to fight him, we're not to engage. All we are to do is simply resist him. The Bible says, resist him and he will flee from you. Okay? But I've often noticed in my life that he flees for a minute and then he comes back around. So I need to keep the armor of God on all the time. I need to keep the armor of God on all the time. Okay? As we close, as we close, let us remember the three keys. This is what I want to do to defeat him. Spiritual battles require spiritual power. I need that, Lord. Spiritual battles require spiritual protection. Give me the full armor, Lord. And spiritual battles require spiritual perception. I know who my enemy is. I know when he's coming. I know who I'm wrestling with. Can I get an amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. Lord Jesus, protect us, God. Every one of us, as we make our way out that door into the real world, Lord, there are, there are entities out there that are using human means. Lord, to get us to blow our testimony to get us to be angry, to get us to doubt who you are. God, you are good. You are our God. You are our Heavenly Father. We love you so much. And we look forward to next week, God, as we see, as we see, God, our waist with truth and our breastplate of righteousness and our feet, God, All the things you've given us, God. Thank you so much. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I never want to leave a meeting without offering anyone here 
an opportunity to surrender to, to the Lord. If you're here today and God is speaking to your heart and you've never surrendered your life to him, you've never said yes to him, you don't have a relationship. You go, Ben, you were talking about relationship. I don't have that relationship. I kind of just, I kind of said a prayer, but I've never had a relationship with God. I just don't. And maybe today God is knocking on your heart and he said, hey, today, today you might, you might want to have a relationship with me. And you go, yes, Lord, I want a relationship. I want to, I want to surrender completely like you're saying. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In a second, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. Well, why do I have to lift up my hand? Because I want God to see your heart where you really want to make a commitment to him. You see, it's about not coming forward and praying a prayer, but it's about making a commitment to him and saying yes, yes. You go, Ben, but, but in a small group like this, everybody here is saved. And I go, amen, praise God. But what if there's one person here that's, that's really struggling and saying, yes, I, I want Jesus. So real quickly, with every eye closed and every about, is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I don't know if I have a relationship like you're talking about, but I want one today. I want one. And I want to surrender my life to God once and for all. All you have to do is lift up your hand. Nobody will see it. I'll see you and I'll acknowledge you. Would you do that right now? If there's anyone here, and again, it's just between you and the Lord. All you have to do is lift up your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want the Lord. I want to be saved. I want a relationship. Would you do that? Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray that everyone here is going to heaven with me. Love you, Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.